two practices down. Does Texas have a quarterback two problem? You are Locked On Longhorns, your daily podcast on the Texas Longhorns. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Locked on Longhorns, the show. Jonathan Davis, your host. This episode is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, the official sportsbook of Locked On. Make every moment more. Visit FanDuel.com slash Locked On today to get started. On today's episode of Locked On Longhorns, we discuss the quarterback two battle or lack thereof between Arch Manning and Malik Murphy. Ten forever Longhorns participated in their pro day yesterday at the 40 Acres. We discussed that. The Texas men's basketball team won against Oklahoma State 61-47 to advance to the semifinals in the Big 12 tournament. They will face off against the TCU Horn Frogs tonight at 8.30 p.m. Central in Kansas City. And then the Texas baseball team is currently in the midst of a 14-game homestand. They have started off 2-0 on that homestand, getting ready for a weekend series against the Manhattan Jaspers. All of that and more on today's episode of Locked On Longhorns, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. So we know in this 2022-2023 era of football, quarterback is the most important position on the field. Quarterbacks are throwing the ball 30 to 40 times. They're the highest paid by far in the NFL at that position. Steve Sarkeesian has repeatedly said quarterback is the most important position on the field. The, the way that we're playing football, this modern era of football, you cannot win, at least at the college level and the NFL level, without a competent quarterback. Maybe in high school, you can still get away with running the ball 40 to 50 times. But at the college level and the NFL level, if you want to have success, you have to have a competent signal caller at the quarterback position. And to me, if quarterback is the most important position on the field, then backup quarterback has to be pretty high on the food chain in terms of building a roster because you're always one hit away from having to put your season in the hands of your backup quarterback. As we saw last year with this Texas football team, when Quinn Ewers got hurt in the first quarter of the Alabama game, we then had to rely on Hudson Card for three full games and three quarters against Alabama. Now, Texas was in a position of privilege having an experienced backup like Hudson Card, who had starting experience and was very talented in his own right, being a top 50 to 60 recruit coming out of high school. And so that gave us a chance to win against Alabama, even though we ended up losing by one. Hudson Card was a big reason why we beat UTSA. Hudson Carr played well enough to beat Texas Tech. I think the biggest reasons we lost that game were the Bijan fumble in overtime and not being able to get off the field on third and fourth down. I think we allowed 13 combined third and fourth down completions in that game. Hudson Carr played well enough for Texas to beat Texas Tech on the road in Lubbock. And then Hudson Carr might have had the best game of his career against West Virginia before Quinn Ewers came back against Oklahoma. So we were in a position of privilege last year having a backup quarterback as good as Hudson Carr. And you thought coming into this season, you might have had even a better situation in the quarterback room because when has Texas ever had, at least at the top, three signal callers as talented as Malik Murphy, Arch Manning, and Quinn Ewers in the same room, right? Not even talking about Texas. In terms of the country, you're talking about one of the most enviable quarterback rooms right with the three names that I just mentioned and so you thought coming into the season that you were in a position of privilege because you had Malik Murphy as your quarterback two and you had Arch Manning as your quarterback three which would allow for him 
to have a developmental year and not really be relied on and come in next year, potentially as the starter in the first year in the SEC. But the Malik Murphy saga at the University of Texas, if it hasn't been weird, it's definitely gotten weird now because we know that he showed a valiant effort in his state championship game in high school, winning it, but hurting his ankle to the point to where he could not fully participate in spring practices last year. He came in in the middle towards the end of spring practices and was finally able to throw. I think it was like the sixth or seventh spring practice. And he was elevated up to quarterback three on the depth chart. So going into the season, we thought he was quarterback three. But then Quinn Ewers goes down. There's some speculation that Hudson Carr might not play with an ankle sprain. And we're talking about Charles Wright playing against UTSA. And so we're saying, what's up with Malik Murphy? Why is Charles Wright in line to start against UTSA? Well, we find out that Malik Murphy had hurt himself again, this time off the field on a scooter in downtown Austin. So we're like, okay, season goes through. Hudson Carr pledges to transfer, and now Malik Murphy is fully healthy, it seems, and he's quarterback two in the Alamo Bowl against Washington. So coming into the season, like I said, we projected Malik Murphy will be quarterback two, Quinn quarterback one, Arch Manning quarterback three or lower, he can just develop. But now two practices into the spring, Malik Murphy has not participated, and Steve Sarkeesian said is that he is still dealing with some complications from his ankle injury that he was fully cleared from last year, enough to be quarterback two in the Alamo Bowl. So now Arch Manning has been your unquestioned quarterback two, at least through the first two spring practices. And so my question is, how much time can Malik Murphy miss and just come back in and be quarterback two? Because even though Arch Manning is a true freshman, everything we've heard thus far, they've raved about his football IQ, his ability to prepare, his decision-making at such a young age, and he has arm talent in his own right, right? And so I know that the staff loves Malik Murphy for obvious reasons. He has an exceptional personality. I think he has natural leadership skills. He's 6'5", and can throw the ball 80 yards, right? And I think he did really good on the scout team last year. But he hasn't thrown a pass for the Longhorns in-game, and he's missed what it would seem like a large portion of spring practices the last two years, and valuable practice time throughout the season because of another injury suffered on a scooter so to me in a season as important as this is for the Longhorns right where it's big 12 championship or bust make or break season for Steve Sarkeesian in year three you want to go into this season with as little uncertainty as possible but to me right now there's a ton of uncertainty at the backup quarterback position and it doesn't help that the last two years that Quinn you were started in his junior year in high school and his redshirt freshman year at the University of Texas, he dealt with injuries and had to miss time. The hernia at South Lake Carroll and the AC joint in his shoulder last year. I'm not saying that Quinn Ewers is injury prone, but I can't say he's healthy prone either, right? So you, there's a chance you might have to rely on Malik Murphy or Arch Manning this season to win football games, right? Not just to come in against Rice or Wyoming and finish the game, but to win football games. And my question is, how comfortable are you with that premise right now because as talented as arch manning is he's a true freshman i don't want to see arch manning in there playing in must win games for the longhorns this year and as talented as malik murphy is like i said he's missed so much valuable practice time and we've never seen him throw a pass can you say without a shadow of a doubt right now if quinn ewers was to go down malik murphy can go in there and win football games for you i don't think the answer to that question is yes regardless of how talented he is. So it'll be interesting to see how this works out. I think if he comes back in the next couple of practices, then you can slide him back in there at that quarterback two spot and everything will be all right.
but this is Arch Manning he's competing with. I don't think he can miss the majority of the spring and then come back in and just be quarterback too. And like I said, going into the season, that's a make or break year for Sark, Big 12 championship or bust. I don't know how I feel about relying on Arch Manning to win games as a true freshman or Malik Murphy to win games who's barely practiced since he's been at the University of Texas. A quick word from our sponsors, and then we're going to talk about this Texas basketball team two games away from a Big 12 tournament title. If you're looking for a delicious treat but don't want all of the fat and the calories, then you have to try a Built Bar. We just got through the holidays, and I know my goal is to eat a little bit healthier this year. If you're like me, where you want to eat healthier but don't want to compromise taste, then, man, I've got just the thing for you. you got to try Built. With Built Healthy, is actually tasty. Seriously, they're so delicious, you won't think they're good for you. Perfect for your New Year's resolution. What makes Built Bars so good? Well, for starters, they are covered in 100% real chocolate. That's right, real chocolate, and they come in amazing flavors like churro, peanut butter, brownie, and coconut almond. I'm not sure how Built does it, but these bars taste like a candy bar while maintaining amazing macros. And what's even better is that they are healthy. Only 130 calories and four grams of sugar with a whopping 17 grams of protein. And now you don't need to wait around to get a box. For years, we've been talking about ordering your Built Bars at Built.com, but now you can get them at your local Walmart or Sam's Club. So head to Walmart, head to Sam's Club, or head to the website today and get your Built Bars and plenty of amazing flavors. March Madness is right around the corner. If you want to win your office pool, you need to stay caught up with all the college basketball action with the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Every Monday, Andy Patton and Isaac Shade recap the biggest stories in college basketball, keep you up to date on the NCAA tournament bubble, and get you ready for the upcoming week of games. From the Big East to the Mountain West and everywhere in between, Andy and Isaac have college hoops covered on the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. This Texas men's basketball team led by Rodney Terry advanced to the semifinals in the Big 12 tournament, beating Oklahoma State 61-47. to Interesting nugget. This Texas men's basketball team and Rodney Terry is now 5-0 against the state of Oklahoma. They beat Oklahoma State three times and they beat Oklahoma twice in the regular season. I said that Texas got a better draw even than Kansas as the number one seed because when you looked at Oklahoma State and Oklahoma playing in the first round, I didn't feel like either one of those teams had a chance to beat the Texas Longhorns and keep them away from the semifinals. If anything, I thought Texas Tech, even in the midst of everything they were dealing with their head coach, Mark Adams is no longer the head coach at Texas Tech. And then West Virginia, you know, with Bob Huggins being the active leader in wins with Jim Beheim just retiring, those are two teams that definitely could beat Texas if they don't show up and play their best basketball. I thought even if Oklahoma State or Oklahoma had a great game, Texas would still be able to win, and that's what they did last night. Oklahoma State shot 27% from the field. This just isn't a good offensive team. I'm not even trying to throw shade or just pound on that fact, but they're just not. In the three games against Texas, they shot 27%, 31%, and then 42%, right? They're just not a great offensive team. 16 out of 47 points came from the free throw line. That's for the Oklahoma State Cowboys while missing nine. So they already scored over 33% of their points from the free throw line, and they missed nine free throws. They had a chance to score over 50% of their points from the free throw line. That is not a good sign for a team on offense, right? That's why they only scored 47 points. And to me, this is a game where Texas should have been able to win this game by 30, right? I think 14 they won the game by 14. I said they would win by double digits. The line was at six. I think it got up to seven by tip off. But Texas only shot 37% from the field, right? They were bricking a bunch of, you know, it was like that first Oklahoma State game, which I think was like 51 to four, or it was like 56 to 46, where neither team could make a shot. Texas only shot 37%, but they did have five players in double figures. 
Marcus Carr, Serge Barry Rice, Dylan DeSue, Arterio Morris, and then Tyrese Hunter all got in double figures. And they pretty much did all of your scoring because you only had three points outside of that, which came on a free throw by Christian Bishop and a dunk by Dylan Mitchell. But I was really proud of this team, especially not knowing that Timmy Allen had got nicked up against Kansas and he wasn't going to be able to play in, in this game. And they're saying he's day-to-day with a lower leg injury. To me, that means he's probably not going to play in the remainder of this Big 12 tournament, which is not the worst thing in the world. You know, I would like to win it, but I would rather have him healthy for the NCAA tournament. And so that put, you know, more minutes on the rest of the players, and that put Serge Barry Rice into the starting lineup. But I thought they did a good job offensively. I thought they got some great looks. You know, they just missed some open shots, specifically uh, Marcus Carr. You know, Serge Barry Rice started off a little bit slow, but he got hot in the second half. I loved really what we saw from Tyrese Hunter and Dylan DeSue. And I think that's the main reason why they were the two players available in the media availability after the game, because Dylan DeSue came out. We talked about with Musa Cisse being in the game, the big defensive presence they would have in the paint, right? 7-1 player that has won co-defensive player of the year in this league previously. Dylan DeSue came out and, in my opinion, outplayed him in the paint. He didn't even attempt a three. I don't remember him attempting a mid-range shot, but he got 11 and 11 in the paint even though this texas team got out rebounded by double digits i thought dylan DeSue's 11 rebounds and his paint presence gave them a huge boost in terms of winning this game like i said marcus carr missed a ton of shots but he got great looks if he continues to take those shots he'll make them i thought tyrese hunter his last five or six games he's looked like a completely different ball player he's showing that confidence now and when he gets the ball in his hands he just takes the shots and he got 11 points on six shots he's looking like the tyrese hunter that we raved about coming out of the transfer portal from iowa state and then i thought arterio morris especially in increased time with timmy allen not playing he continues to show that development throughout the season all season we've asked why a player as talented as arterio morris was not getting more time or not having Uh, you know, more of a role on this basketball team. But I think you can see why you have to trust the process because now Arterio Morris going into the biggest games of your season looks like somebody you can rely on game in and game out. So I loved how this team responded to adversity. I knew they would start off slow because they hadn't played since Saturday. And then obviously dealing with the adversity of not having Timmy Allen, who to me is not your best scorer, but he's your most consistent scorer, right? I think Timmy Allen above anybody can get a bucket whenever he wants, especially in that mid range. The other players on the team are a little more streaky. He's the most consistent. I thought they did a good job beating a tough Oklahoma state team, even though they can't score, they do play really hard and they defend you really well. As you can see by the Texas basketball team, only shooting 37% from the floor. And so now you face off against a tough TCU team. And they've gone through a lot this week with Eddie Lampkin, um, you know, dismissing himself from the program. There's been some accusations on, you know, uh, I guess a, a not ideal culture over there and, and Jamie Dixon, how he's been talking to and treating his players. But I thought they got a great win against Kansas State in Kansas City, right? <laughs> That's kind of a, a home game for Kansas State. And TCU got a great win. This is a team when they're hitting on all cylinders is a sneaky national championship contender. And Really, the last three games against TCU have been wonky. Last year in the Big 12 tournament, Texas was a four seed. TCU was a five seed. We got up to a 20-point lead on them, blew that game, and did not advance to the second round of the Big 12 tournament. The two games this year, TCU got up to an 18-point lead in both of those games, but still split. They won the game in Fort Worth. We won the game in the Moody Center. 
I will say that Texas cannot afford to get out-rebounded by double digits. They got out-rebounded by 18 in the last game against TCU. TCU is the best team in the country, not just in the Big 12, in the country in terms of transition opportunities. They're going to have to limit turnovers and not let TCU get out on the break and get easy buckets. And then I think that Dylan DeSue, the way that he played last night, 11-11, and he's going to have to bring that type of paint presence for the Longhorns, and somebody's going to have to score big, whether it's Serge Barry Rice, Tyrese Hunter, or Marcus Carr, somebody's going to have to give this team 20-plus points because I expect that Timmy Allen will miss tonight's game as well. If they beat TCU tonight, they will advance to the championship game tomorrow to play against Iowa State or Kansas. And I can't wait for the matchup tonight. And if they win that game, I can't wait for the Big 12 tournament final. Another word from FanDuel, and then we're going to talk about the Texas players that participated in Pro Day and this Texas baseball team. The midway point of the NBA season is here, and now is the perfect time to download FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook, because new customers get a no-sweat first bet of up to $1,000. That's bonus bets back if your first bet does not win. Just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Then you can bet on everything from the money line to points scored and threes made. Plus, FanDuel even lets you combine your bets for a chance at a bigger payout with a same-game parlay. So don't miss the chance to get your no-sweat first bet of up to $1,000 in bonus bets when you go to fanduel.com slash locked on. That's fanduel.com slash locked on to learn more. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. So Texas hosted their pro day yesterday at the 40 acres, and we saw some of the forever Longhorns that participated in the combine participate in the pro day as well. And also some players that did not get invited to the combine. This was their chance to showcase their skill sets. Now, it was reported that all 32 teams were represented at Texas's Pro Day, which is a great sign. And so our players got the chance to showcase their skill sets in front of all 32 teams. And most of our players met with at least one team either yesterday or have met with at least one team throughout this process. So Roshan Johnson, uh, DeMarvian Overshone, Keandre Coburn, Moral Ojimo, Jaleel Billingsley, Daniel Trejo, Anthony Cook, Deshaun Jamison, Tariq Milton, and Bijan Robinson were your participants. Bijan Robinson did not test or do drills. He just met with teams at the combine, um, at the pro day, I should say. Roshan Johnson, he did participate in the pro day. He stuck with most of his testing from the combine, but I thought it was good for him to showcase his skill set as a running back and as a pass catcher one more time, especially with Bijan not participating because at the combine, you know, they made a lot about Roshan being Bijan's backup. I thought, in this scenario at the pro day, it gave a chance for Roshan to kind of just shine on his own. Uh, DeMarvian Overshawn, he tested again. He kind of stuck with most of his numbers um, from the combine, but he did safety and linebacker drills at his pro day. Keandre Coburn and Moral Ojimo both redid their shuttle as well as some defensive lineman drills. Jalil Billingsley, I was surprised to see him participate, but he did run an unofficial 4-5-240, um, showed some strength and some tight end blocking drills and had a 36-inch vertical. So, you know, I don't know what his official time was, and I know that, you know, there's going to be some uncertainty around Jaleel Billingsley not working out at Texas or Alabama in terms of on the field. But I think some of his measurables are going to be just too hard to ignore. I think he finds his way at the least at an undrafted free agent into the NFL. Daniel Trejow did not test, but he just punted. Good ideas. <laughs> I don't know how well kickers or, or punters test. I don't know if it matters. All they need you to do is kick the ball. Just go kick the ball. Anthony Cook ran a 4 5 9 40, 34 inch vertical. Not sure what the future looks like for him. Deshaun Jamison was very upset, very vocal about being upset about not making it or getting invited to the NFL combine. He ran a 4 4 8 40. There was some conjecture over whether he ran faster or not. They were, they were timing these people on iPhones and then tweeting it out like it was official, which was crazy in the first place. So 
they have him listed at a 4.48. I saw some that said he ran faster than that. I saw some that said he ran slower than that. His 40 was really key. I would hope that he got down a little bit lower than 4.48, but 4.48 is not the worst thing in the world. 33-inch vertical. The good thing is Deshaun Jameson has shown the proficiency to play on special teams. You always need special teams players in the NFL. He said he met with three to four teams. I think he finds a way onto an NFL roster, at least as an undrafted free agent. And then you had Tariq Milton, who ran a 4.55-40, 34-and-a-half-inch vertical. Not sure what's in the plans for him either, but I hope all 10 of these players find their way to the National Football League at some point because that is their goal and then we're going to round it out with the texas baseball team once again they're six and seven on the season not the start that they hoped for but when you lose as much talent as you had last year it's definitely going to be an adjustment but now they're currently on a 14 game home stand a chance to really get that roster um, not their roster a chance to really get their record intact before they start big 12 conference play i think the last three games of the homestand are against texas tech so conference play starts during the homestand but by the time you get to that Texas Tech game, you have a chance to be, let's see if they play two games, you take out three, 11, you have a chance to be 17 and seven if you win every game going into that Texas Tech game. So a chance to, you know, get your feet under you, play some really good baseball and be hot going into Big 12 conference play. They are two and oh so far on this homestand. As I mentioned, they've beaten Sam Houston and Mercer thus far by a combined score of 18 to eight. And the good thing is the last two games, Every facet of this baseball team has been on point, right? Coming into those two games, really the only part of this baseball team that you can hang your hat on was the pitching, especially in that LSU game, right? That's where this Texas baseball team had excelled thus far. Batting average and hitting had not been great. Fielding had not been great. All three of those areas improved in the last two games, albeit against lesser opponents, but you got to play who's on the schedule. 366 batting average in the last two games, outscoring opponents 18 to 8 431 batting average with runners on base so when runners on base they've been even more clutch at the plate a 312 era which is in line with the era they've had all season once again pitching has been the bright spot of this baseball team and then a 964 fielding percentage we saw i think it was in the first two to three games they had eight errors already which is horrible in terms of baseball and a 96% fielding percentage isn't great. I think you want to be the elite defensive teams are in the 98, you know, plus, but 96.4 fielding percentage is great based on what we had saw earlier in the season. They're getting better at the fundamentals, especially on the defensive side of the ball. And now you have a weekend series against Manhattan, a three and eight baseball team. They have never played the Texas Longhorns before. Hopefully they come in, you know, a little bit starstruck and Texas gets the sweep. I expect them to get the sweep and hopefully they are nine and seven the next time i talk to y'all about this texas baseball team thank you for tuning in to another episode of locked on longhorns part of the locked on podcast network your team every day a big weekend for longhorn athletics let's hope it's a prosperous one hook them peace